The following sermon was delivered by Rev. Natalie Owens-Pike in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to fapc.org. And now, here's Rev. Natalie Owens-Pike. This winter, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church has been taking several weeks to explore the nature of the beloved community. A vision central to the writings and the radical organizing of Martin Luther King Jr. And we have taken up this exploration in a moment of intense national political division amidst widespread and sometimes unfathomable destruction of violent conflict and war. And as our secular calendars turn this week to Black History Month, you will hear me today engage a few different black theologians and preachers, including Martin Luther King's vision for our world. So far in this series, we've explored the challenge of making the aspirations of our nation more real, using the lens of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, which we've held in conversation with King's definition of the beloved community. And today's passage implores us commands us even to do some of the hardest work of Christian life in action. And yes, in this series, we have already admitted how difficult it seems to live into these commands, how the dreams of this scripture and of King's beloved community might be precisely what divides us flawed and faithful people from those we lift up as saints or beacons on our paths. But today's scripture, as difficult as it might seem to act on, offers to us the knowledge that even when our best human efforts fall short of God's vision for us, God will meet us in our striving to stand in the gap if we so invite God. And to do so, we might have to get spiritually up close and personal with those who Paul says have persecuted us. To imagine that power lies in using prayer and patience, hospitality and blessing as tools for these times. Hmm. But isn't this a time for action, you might be wondering? Can patience, can prayer, can our spiritual stance in response to violence or injustice really be enough? Doesn't offering a blessing to those who have persecuted us give our power over to those who have harmed us? Well, these are some very good questions that you've brought up. And I hope you will turn with me to wonder with them to our short but very spiritually dense passage in Romans 12 today. And as we listen to these four verses, I invite you to notice which of these commandments, the imperatives Paul lists, which do you get most snagged on? In the reality of our world with all its heart-rending iniquities and powerful thumbs held on systemic scales, Which of these instructions asks the most of you? So shall we pick up where we left off last Sunday in the 12th chapter of Romans, verses 11 to 14. Do not lag in zeal. 
Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The word of God for the people of God. Friends, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot that I struggle with in this very short passage. There is so much tension here for me, advice that I struggle to take. Be patient in affliction, persevere in prayer, but really the struggle comes when Paul says to us, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. For this is different than just loving your neighbor, which for the record, I can totally get behind. (laughs) But here, no, I struggle to hear the Apostle Paul acknowledge that the evils of persecution exist in our world, but that they do so in the face of those who pursue in hatred, that we must turn towards them and bless them, wish them well. Ask God to look favorably upon them. How could we possibly offer love in the face of hatred we see entrenched in law and in practice, counter the violence of solitary confinement in our prisons and execution of the innocent, look directly at the aftermath of genocide and turn toward the face of evil and bless it? Is this what this passage asks of us? Not possible, you might be thinking. Or maybe, is it even desirable? That sounds too easy, not strong enough to ward off the evil in our world. And doing so, do we also have to acknowledge that if we bless those who have done evil actions, that they are still redeemable in the eyes of God? This is a hard thing to trust and accept. Harder still for those of us whose life experiences have a name or a face that rises in their mind when they hear, bless those who persecute you. Harder still from identities of race or class, gender or citizenship that have felt the generational sting of both individual and systemic persecution. The blessing of our persecutors is a very different ask for a descendant of black families whose ancestors were people called property, or for queer families whose love and existence is relentlessly debated in the courts of our land. Harder than it is for me, whose white ancestry includes both recent immigrants to this country and long ago active participants in American colonization. And for some of us, we may have to acknowledge that the hateful actions pursuing us that we need to address are ones that have gone on within our own communities, 
or ones that we have raised within ourselves. But friends, this is a collective letter that asks for our collective response. It is addressed to groups of early Christians trying to form community across conflict and disagreement in the midst of their own persecutions. But in this letter, every verb form that Paul uses is plural, addressing us all in what we must do. What we do, we do together. What Paul asks of us, Martin Luther King Jr. understood to be essential on the path to nonviolent resistance bringing forth the beloved community. King defined the beloved community as the eradication of hunger, of poverty and hatred with wholeness for all people. And one of the tenets of the beloved community is acknowledging that there can be no exclusion from it. King defined this through the Greek word agape, a love more demanding than friendship or romantic love. King said, agape love does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people. It begins by loving others for their sakes. It makes no distinction between a friend and enemy. Agape love is directed towards both. Hard as it may be to hear our sacred texts reinforce this to us over and over and over again with a clarity that to me strikes us as though God understands and expects our resistance to this difficult task. Psalm 23 tells us God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies and it is there that our cup will overflow. Jesus says in Matthew, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Luke, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And we hear it again from the lips of a dying, crucified Christ. In Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No, this is not some platitude, some cheap thing. It is hard one. In times of conflict across oppression and death, it requires of us to see the pain of those who have hurt us, wielded structural power over us, with the understanding that the evil they enact hurts them too. When we see them as only the evil they do, our humanity is diminished too. King made a distinction between violence of the body and violence of the spirit, knowing that our desire for revenge or violence also enacts a kind of spiritual suffering on us in the wishing. Now the trick here is not to think we are not allowed to feel our anger or our horror or our rage at those who have acted in persecution. Note here that Paul does not say forgive and forget. Move on quickly. Paul asks us to accept 
that the redemption offered to one of us is not withheld from another. That through our collective action, our persistence in prayer, our hospitality toward the stranger, our blessing, even if all we can do is have the intention to bless, even if all we can do is choose not to hate back, we work closer and closer to close the gap that lies between our humanness and God's vision for us in the beloved community. Even if we have to bless through gritted teeth. James Cone, whose scholarship and teaching have helped to form the discipline of black theology, says those who are persecuted may be tempted to become bitter and to retaliate with corresponding hate. But if this happens, the new order we seek will be little more than a duplicate of the old order. No, we must not, in times of great division, pick up the tools of those who have beat this division into us with words and laws and deeds. No, we must not, in gaining power, turn back on the ones we took it from to say, we'll do back to you as we have received. When I was in divinity school, I attended a lecture at the Yale School of Environment, which was on the practice of returning land in the United States to indigenous land management. This practice, you might have heard the phrase land back used as a movement to return land. And the panelists on, um, on this event were all indigenous. They were professors, they were lawyers, some of them were experts in Indian law, and they were from very diverse tribes with a lot of very different ideas about exactly how to put this land back uh, concept into action. And about an hour into this panel where we'd really dug into the intricacies of how, yes, we should do this or not do that, one of the panelists who directs this national campaign on land back, her name is Crystal Tubles, called us back to the purpose of the radical reimagining we were there to do. She said, non-indigenous people have a lot of anxiety about what's gonna happen with land back. A lot of fear that indigenous people will return to you the same actions you have done to them that you too will be uprooted or treated as your ancestors treated ours. But we have a communal vision, greater than what has been done to us. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. In my home state of Minnesota, there was recently a return of a significant piece of land to the Upper Sioux Tribe of the Dakota, 114 acres that are historically significant to both white Minnesotans with settler heritage like me and the Upper Sioux Nation. It is a place where a very violent war began between the Dakota and the US government. In the winter of 1862, many people were starving and the US government broke their treaty agreements to provide medicine and food rations and money to the tribe. This war, in addition to being very violent, led to further displacement of Dakota people from their land, moving onto smaller and smaller parcels. 
and also led to the internment of Dakota women and children at the site of Fort Snelling in St. Paul, Minnesota. But for the last 20 years, the Upper Sioux Tribe has sought to reclaim their connection to and their relationship to this land to restore in healing for all by reclaiming it to its original tribal care. The land will still be open to all and maintained as a site that honors this history, but at the same time, the Upper Sioux will be able to manage its health and practice religious ritual for the healing of the land and the tribe together. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This blessing is made possible through collective persistence. Generation after generation acting out of trust that even though they may never see it come to pass, it was good and worthy work on the way to its fruition. And this return of land taken nearly 200 years ago required 20 years to untangle the state and federal management of it and that was after the state agreed to return it to the tribe. Imagine what it might take on this small and very dense island of Manhattan. This striving, this action, this blessing, yes, is powerful, but we know it is not enough. Paul tells us to be persistent and be patient, to keep working as if those who act against us could be changed by our blessing of them. To know that it is not just by our own intention that this agape love comes to be, but that it will never be without our leaning in towards it, imperfect as we are. There will be a gap between what we can do and what is possible with the help of God's presence. And if we miss, as we do, if we act within logics of revenge or retaliation, if we see only our human shortcomings as barriers to what is possible, we run the risk of losing ourselves in that gap, of that gap surrounding us and becoming the despair that we feel, the helplessness we feel at how much violence is in our world. King knew what awaited us there. He named this the dark abyss. He said, have we not come to such an impasse in the modern world that we must love our enemies or else? The chain reaction of evil hate begetting hate, wars producing more wars, it must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss. It is why we break open the bread on our communion table. As we bless it, we do so inviting in the presence of Christ to be in the inbreaking. In today's service, we will do so at this table right here, and I will then pick up the broken bread and the blessed cup, and I will take them to present them to our gathered community online where we will share in this feast across all the gaps of our distance and geography, trusting that we serve a God who taught us to remember God's presence in our midst, 
And in doing so, we are audacious enough to hope for yet one more miracle that across time zone and territory, throughout all of us in this communion line, we are united in God's abundant feast. It helps us to acknowledge that our very best human efforts may still fall short of God's hopes for us. For into the shortcomings of our lives, we invite God to join us, trusting God will meet us there. Our striving towards the blessing may be all that we can do, and it may never be enough. And yet, God meets us there, meets us there, and calls it grace. Take a look at our bulletin cover from this morning. There's a whole host of folks on here. Maybe you recognize some of them. Do you see Desmond Tutu? Do you see Polly Murray? Do you see Fred Rogers? Do you see Dorothy Day? All of these organizers, justice seekers, not all were religious figures. This artist made them into icons, which I hear is not exactly a Presbyterian thing, but I've heard other people talk about saints up here, so we're just going to go with it. (laughs) But these are ordinary folks shown with the halo of the sainted. We do not deem just one person venerable like our own individual striving, but we see how our work for justice is intergenerational, interwoven across divisions of time and identity and issue. So let us not be turned away from the trying by the enormity of the task. Let us invite God's presence into all our shortcomings, and then let us stand in the gap near to each other. Then our paths are broader side by side. Will you, the beloved community, rise in body and spirit to join me in our affirmation of faith today? In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of peoples long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. Amen. Family of faith go forth into this week, I invite you to take with you this blessing. May God meet you in all of the gaps in your life to remind you that you are blessed. May God bless and keep you. May God shine God's face upon you. May God look upon you with favor and bring you peace. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.